Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, let's begin. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Inside Try Show with me, Helen Murray, the weekly podcast bringing you the best interviews in triathlon and beyond. If you've not listened before, hello, it's great to have you here. Go and have a look after you've heard this episode. Go and have a look at some of the previous episodes over at InsideTryShow.com. There's so much good stuff on there to keep you occupied if you're maybe traveling somewhere, you're out on a long run, you're training for something. I can highly recommend the Claire Danson episode. So after this one, go and listen to the Claire Danson episode. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, chances are you'll have heard that one, but welcome back. I know there are loads of podcasts out there that you can choose to listen to and I'm really grateful that you choose to listen to this one and it's on your list. So regardless of whether you've listened before or you are a brand new listener, I hope you're doing well. But I do want you to do something for me, okay? You see, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty positive today and I want to share some of that positivity with you. So I want to know what one thing has made you smile this week so what one thing has made you smile let me know at inside try show on social media and you can tell me mine well it was watching my dad stand up on a stand-up paddleboard to celebrate his 70th birthday it was pure magic pretty priceless. You can even hear, you can, you can hear the smile in my voice as I'm telling you this because the determination on his face to do it was, it was just insane. So yeah, that really did put a huge smile on my face. So what's done it for you? Maybe you've finally been to a swimming pool. Maybe, maybe it was something that you've baked or maybe, and a few in my tri club have done this, maybe you have hit that enter button on something for next year. Whatever it is, share it with me. The thing that has made you smile this week at Inside Tri Show on social media. Time for this week's interview. 
So this week's interview and podcast is powered by 33fuel.com, powerful, tasty and natural sports nutrition. They won Best Health Product of the Year for their Ultimate Daily Greens and their Amori Energy Bars are insanely good. Use the code InsideTry33 for a discount over at checkout. Okay, so let's crack on with the interview. So if I were to say to you, Afghanistan, what springs to mind? Let me guess. The Taliban? War? Kabul? Probably not mountain biking, right? Well, Farid Nuri is hoping to change all of that. He's aiming to become the first Afghan to compete in mountain biking at the Olympics. He comes from a rural village in Afghanistan, but his family was forced to flee when he was two because of the Taliban. He actually discovered mountain biking while on a high school scholarship in America. He went on to race at collegiate level for Middlebury College in Vermont, where he also got a degree in economics. And he now combines training and racing on the UCI circuit in the States with studying, as well as running Mountain Bike Afghanistan, a not-for-profit organisation which is trying to grow the sport of mountain biking in his home country. And through that, really empowering young Afghans through cycling and riding. It is one awesome story. I wanted to get you on the podcast because it was when I was actually doing research for the interview with Catherine Bertine and I was looking at her Homestretch Foundation and I saw that you were one of the athletes for this season. And then I would have done a bit more Googling and I was like, whoa, he has to have some kind of backstory. <laughs> and I thought, I don't need to tell it. You can tell us. So, um, yeah, for for people that might not be aware, you'll have said this a gazillion times to different people but can you just take us back to when you were two years old in in Afghanistan yeah I mean I don't remember but from family account we were uh we we're on the road escaping the Taliban to Pakistan um and we uh obviously we left our farm house uh in this beautiful mountainous area in uh, central Afghanistan um and had to escape the country because uh, the Taliban was just uh, taking over and um, uh, we didn't find it safe anywhere uh, in Af inside Afghanistan. So we went to Pakistan and uh, we, yeah, we started a life, uh, new life there. And uh, um, I, you know, I grew up half my life uh, pretty much in Pakistan until uh, things got better to move back. What was it like when you moved back? How old were you at that point? I was 11. And uh, I remember it was very, very impressive uh, to be back because there it was the two uh, most extreme contrasts. Uh, there was so much destruction. Uh, this is 2003, two years after the US and um, NATO forces uh, forced the Taliban out. And uh, what remained in Kabul was um, destruction from, you know, nearly three decades of war. Um, but at the same time, the other end of this extreme was there was so much hype. Um, there was not there was no electricity. There was 
you know, none of the modern amenities. Uh, my school was in a UNICEF tent, um, but there was so much energy, so much construction going on at the same time that gave you, in a way, like, you know, we read about post-World War II Europe uh, and the rush to build, and it felt like that. I mean, it was so cool to be back. Um, things have not turned out as the European Union uh, in the in the coming years, but I do remember it being very, very exciting. Can you just even explain to us what's it like going to school in a UNICEF tent? Again, it was pretty pretty exciting, and a and a there's actually a small bike story in there too that I will tell you. Um, so I went to school in Habibia High School, which is the largest high school in Kabul and arguably in Afghanistan because it is the capital. And it's where both of the former and current president went. Um, so, you know, in its glory days, it had a big structure, uh, classrooms, gardens. Uh, it has a big, um, it's, it's very big for a high school. It has a lot of land for soccer, for other sports. And we could see only the remnants of those um, structures. Um, you know, the the pavement inside the school had potholes and bomb scars and you could find, um, you know, bullet shells uh, that had remained there from, uh, from the war times. And in this field that used to be the soccer field, there were rows upon rows of um, UNICEF tents, each with a letter that said, um, you know, the class name. Um, So like eighth grade, and in Afghanistan, um, you don't go to different classes. The teacher, different teachers come to your class. So there could be like uh, so many eighth grades. And so there would be like a row of tents that were all eighth graders uh, separated, just, you know, just thrown into different tents. And it was mostly unattended. Uh, some, sometimes the teachers didn't come. Um it was pretty low standard because uh, there was a huge gap. Uh, people had fled the country. There was shortage of teachers. Um, it was very common for one of our teachers to, you know, sell potatoes on a cart in the morning and then teachers in the afternoon kind of thing. Um, so the air of scarcity was abundant, uh, but there was also a rush to everyone valued education. Everyone knew that we had a new start. We had a fresh start. And, um, yeah, and we saw that school getting built in, uh, in two years and we moved inside the classrooms, which was really, really exciting. Uh, the president himself, since he had graduated from the school came, President Karzai came and, uh, I was part of a choir group actually to perform in the opening, in the cutting, um, ribbon ceremony. Uh, we, we didn't, we didn't end up singing because, um, you know, the president's schedule always changed. So he had to... Yeah leave very quickly but I remember I was standing a feet away from him and um, now we're no longer in the tents and back in the the actual classrooms and saying you know seeing all of this after having a pretty normal life in Pakistan like you know we had a school we had electricity and things like that and then leaving all of that behind to come to this I found Kabul to be obviously more exciting and cooler uh, with all its shortages and I guess the unexpected, you never really knew what was going to be happening day on day. And and at that point, what role did sport play in your life? 
none, zero, non-existent. My first of all, my father, who's basically who's been, in a way, the champion, but at the same time, he's been our champion in so many ways.、Um, he's he risked his life to go to Australia to support my family.、Um, he actually hopped on a dinghy and went all the way to Australia across the Indian Ocean.、Um, and he was he a doctor, Farid? Yeah, yeah, he was a medical doctor, and、uh, he. He made it to Australia after so many near drown situations, and you know we've heard about refugee boats drowning, but he made it. And in Melbourne,、uh, he had a grocery store,、uh, so he was no longer in his profession, and、uh, he was there for three years while the rest of us were in Pakistan. And he basically supported our education、um, from Melbourne, and so he values education a lot. And when we Uh, moved back to Afghanistan、uh, with a lot of,、um, you know, education was basically the only way out,、um, and anything else was a distraction,、uh, sports included. So we were told not to play soccer after school, even though there was no official after soccer program. But you know, kids they find a ball and they throw it around, and that's、uh, that's that's how you.、Uh, Have fun,、uh, but my parents were, my dad especially, he wanted us to come home right after school,、um, and but I, you know, we were kids. We started finding ways to to play soccer here and then, play cricket here and then. In Pakistan, we played cricket and cycling secretly. Oh, te- go on! How did you cycle secretly? <laughs> It's not the so, easiest thing to do secretly. We go back to the、uh, the tent. Classroom story in Afghanistan. If you're if you have the highest marks in your classroom, you're the captain of the class, and you're basically a a teacher assistant. So you help the teacher with taking attendance and things like that because the teacher obviously doesn't want to shout thirty、uh, students' names and you know、uh, marking in in the attendance sheet whether they're there or not. And so this always falls on the student,、um, the class captain. And being the class captain for my class, I was bribed by a few people to mark them present in exchange for their bike,、uh, which I would arrange before the day,、uh, an hour before classes began, and would be like, "Okay, tomorrow you you can show up an hour earlier, and I'll mark you present、uh, if you let me ride your bike." And、uh, I would take the bike, and like I said, this was a massive compound. It was fenced, obviously, so I didn't have to go on the road, which is very dangerous in Afghanistan to ride, and where my dad would probably see me. So I would just make circles inside this huge compound in between tents, and、um, that's how I kind of fulfilled that. You know, obviously, kids if they know how to ride a bike, they it's one of the most for me at least it's one of the most joyful things, and、um, you figure out ways to, to fulfill it. And had you, where had you learned to ride a bike? I learned in Pakistan,、uh, also without my family's knowledge.、Um, so in Afghanistan, in, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, you buy food three times a day.、Uh, you go to the bakery in the morning. You go to the bakery at noon and dinner time to buy fresh bread. And、um, so I would go stand in line with. This, you know, money in my hand and trying to buy bread for the family. And a friend of mine used to always come 
uh, at the same time. And we would be standing in his long line and he had a bike and um, he helped me learn to ride. Um, and we would uh, we would take each other's spot uh, riding. Um, while we were riding, we would t- uh, secure each other's spot in the line. And uh, that's how I learned. <laughs> and then when you were riding in between the tents at school back in Kabul in Afghanistan, yeah. what did that time on the bike mean to you? Uh, it was it was amazing, and it wasn't any um, you know the bike itself was this uh, cruiser um, single speed uh, that people use for commuting. You might have seen it in uh, pictures of Afghanistan. Like people load people who are who go to work load this thing with so many things. I mean, it was not a fancy bike, but it was incredible. Just uh, letting letting go of you know the whatever else was going on in the country and just um, exciting is all I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went from that school to a Turkish school. Is that right? And then yeah. from the Turkish school, that is how you ended up in the, in the state. So yeah. Tell us a bit about the, the, the swapping schools and going to the Turkish school and then how the opportunity came up. Yeah. So um, I think my dad living in Australia and promising to move the family to Australia when we were there kind of gave me a taste of what, um, of, you know, Western education was in contrast to the tent classrooms in Kabul. So that idea was planted in my head. Um, and my dad, when he was in Australia from 1999 to 2003, he would send us his clips about his neighborhood in Melbourne. And, you know, the high, he would go inside the high schools and show us classrooms like this is where you're going to sit and study. And it was just like mouthwatering videos. Um, and But that didn't happen, obviously, because he abandoned Australia and as things were improving in Afghanistan. And But I always wanted to um, to do that. And the Turkish school was the, it may no longer be, but it used to be the best school in Afghanistan. And um, it was very competitive to get in. And um, our entrance exam was inside this uh, soccer stadium in Kabul because 6,000 students applied and they couldn't have these students (laughs) in any single building. So they decided to do it in the soccer stadium. And I remember the steps were wet because the night before it had rained. And as we enter this stadium, they're giving us newspaper sheets to put on the steps so that we didn't get, we obviously got wet, but, mm-hmm. um, but this is how, uh, how I ended up in the Turkish school. It was really competitive, uh, but luckily I got in and um, 90 students from that 6,000 uh, were eventually accepted and when I was in the Turkish school, um, I learned about a State Department, U.S. State Department uh, exchange program that took high school students from Afghanistan to bring to the U.S. for one year, live with an American host family and attend high school here. Um, and but I couldn't find back then, you know, I obviously didn't have a smartphone. This is. 2009, 2010, and I didn't have internet, so you can't look up people's info, you can't find their email addresses, 
Um, and physical addresses are also hard to find in Afghanistan because foreign NGOs being a target uh, of, you know, terrorist groups, they don't have a sign that says, you know, so-and-so. Uh, so you have to kind of, like, how do you figure out, right? How do you find out yeah. people? And, um, well, in Afghanistan, um, it's, you know, there are different neighborhoods and there are a couple neighborhoods that has, that are known for having a higher concentration of foreign NGOs. And so I started there. I started basically walking these neighborhoods, any building that had a security post, like a little like security room in front of its uh, fenced out door, I would go knock on that security man's window and I would ask, what organization are you? (laughs) Or if, the what the compound you're securing is this exchange program that can take me to the US and one thing obviously like knocked on so many doors until I got some references and eventually found the address and applied to that program and um, got lucky to be accepted again and came to the United States and um, that's when uh, I was away from my family by an ocean and two continents and I could do all the things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do back home. <laughs> and uh, what was it like landing for the first time in, in the U S? So we landed in DC and it was uh, at dawn and we we're all so excited. It was my brother who's a year older than me was with me and I was with um, four other uh, young Afghans my age and um, stepping out of um, the airport the first thing we noticed was the big American vans that you see in the movie that had come to pick us up and then obviously the multi-lane highways and uh, we joked with each other I think we um, I remember saying yeah my to my brother that look, even the the dust on our shoes is shaking off as the, you know, the minute, like as soon as we landed uh, by afternoon, like there was no dust left and we we're just impressed by the sheer modernity and, you know, the DC is obviously a very clean city. And um, we, uh, yeah, we spent a week in DC and it was all, you know, that was my first flight. Uh, I'd never flown and everything was just very new and very fast. And um, it was obviously January and uh, very cold in DC in January, but we walked everywhere because we wanted to see everything. Um, And it was all very, very exciting from, from the food to um, the first food I ever had in the U S was five guys. It's a burger uh, joint uh, that gives you a lot of and. Uh, it was just very, very different. Were you scared at all? Not really, no. I mean, um, we, you know, I, I, we obviously came, I, now in retrospect, I can see that we came very determined to, you know, this was just one shot and, um, you know, make, make things better and better from now on. And I think that, um, we were very focused and driven because of that and not really like thinking about other things. And I think being teenagers and, um, you know, being with other friends from Afghanistan, it just helped, you know, you just had 
the only thing that had changed were you were in a new country, but again, you're, you're a teenager and you want to, you're just here to study and have fun and make use of the time. And I guess there was when you were really um, shown about the power of sport. Totally. Yeah. So there was, there was, there, there was a very profound moment in my exchange year and it happened right at the end of my time. Basically I was saying goodbye to my host family. I ended up in Portland. Uh, I ended up in Maine. Um, so in Portland, Maine, uh, at the airport uh, saying goodbye. And this is the flight back to Kabul. My host mom says, go on home. Uh, now you're, uh, now you're this rejuvenated Farid. When you first came, you were like a 40 year old person in the body of a young man. And we both laughed at it, but obviously like it was, you know, it's sad to hear that, but at the same time it was a, an awakening. Um, and I, I, I thought about that. I dwelled on that comment um, on the plane ride home. And what she had essentially said is that you came to our house um, not as youthful as, you know, a young person your age need to be because all I could talk about was Afghanistan's issues and, you know, I, that's that's what I knew. And the sad reality is that this thing is um, the politics and, and the war has been happening for so long that it has infiltrated every aspect of life and you almost can't escape it. And that's what you talk about all the time. And obviously uh, having a good education coming to the U.S., I I knew all the history, all, everything I could go, you know, I gave a dozen talks in, in my time in Maine to people. And so I was really good at that. I, you know, I, that's not what 16 year olds are supposed to do. They're, you know, they go around and play in the, in the pool and throw a ball and things like that. But in the contrary, I was, uh, I looked like someone from the UN was giving a presentation on Afghan about Afghanistan. And, um, that was really a, a life-changing moment, uh, realizing that, uh, you know, we, we have failed to provide a lot of opportunities for our youth. Um, and it's no surprise that everyone wants to be a politician when they, you know, have an opportunity to study in the U.S. because they, the same problems drag them to go back and, um, and try to change things, um, whereas there's so many other aspects of of life that is uh, ignored and that yeah that did become a turning point for me and tell tell us about the uh the, the tennis experience and then when you did go back to Afghanistan and and what you did to provide for others yeah so in Maine one of the things that I did um so after school programs was entirely new for me and one of the things that I signed up for was tennis. And I'd never seen a tennis court in real life. Um, I played ping pong back in Afghanistan, but um, that doesn't count. And um, I, yeah, I started playing tennis and I just fell in. This was the first time I was doing sports in an organized way. But I also just simply loved tennis. This was challenging. This was you had to, you know, cooperate with your friend uh with your teammate and um it just became um i became very occupied by playing tennis i would 
go on the weekends. And um, the idea to take the tennis court back home with me came from the end of the program as well. And I, uh, we had a reflection session where, you know, coach had ordered some pizza and everyone was talking about the season. Um, and when it came to me, I said, well, I'm headed to Afghanistan in a couple of weeks and uh, I, I'll be sad because I won't be able to play tennis anymore. And my coach said right there, why don't you make one? <laughs> and I said this, I said, huh? Can you, can you say that again? Can you repeat? He's like, yeah, why don't you make one? I mean, you can make one out of clay. You don't even need any any other things. Just just have to water it every day. That was another thing that I thought about on the plane ride back home. I was like, yes, I'm going to make, you know, especially after what my host mom had said. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I need to go and, um, you know, even if it's one tennis court, just see what we can this summer. And some other, two of the girls who had who were returning with me, uh, to Afghanistan uh, at the end of the program, I shared the idea with them and they attended. Um, so we did the tennis court, uh, the three of us in their high school, um, which is an all girls high school. And um, it was a successful project. Uh, it took off. People were behind it. Um, the money was mostly raised in Afghanistan, which is um, That's awesome. kind of really awesome as well, as opposed to, I don't know, some World Bank money coming in and saying, we need to build tennis courts in Afghanistan. It was uh, homegrown. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was my first uh, sort of real experience with sports empowerment and, and seeing what it can do. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, what did you see firsthand? What difference did it make to those girls in, the, in that high school? So when I so I was there for the summer and I came to continue my high school in a different school, this time in New Mexico. And the tennis court was mostly done. I was not there for when it was inaugurated. Uh, I was able to lay the concrete and buy the most of the materials. What I did see, so I didn't see the actual playing. What I did see was the the sheer spirit of support and volunteerism that happened when we were building it. Uh, obviously, I hired some people to build the court, but the day when we officially started working, there were so many young boys and girls who showed up to just, you know, digging dirt and carrying uh, debris and things like that. And um, there's a Facebook page on um, on the tennis court on um, that that has some pictures of that 
that day and the subsequent days. Um, but it was, it was like 90% complete when I came to the U.S. and I continued to raise some more money for its fence. And in my absence, my family finished it. And um, when it was completed, almost a year after it began, uh, one of my mentors in the U.S. was uh, going to uh, Kabul. And for his birthday, he announced that he didn't, if you were planning to give him gifts, he didn't want to get any of your gifts, just bring your tennis courts. So he flew in to Kabul with um, a dozen uh, tennis rackets and a lot of tennis balls and uh, gave it to the school. And I visited the tennis court a year after in 2013 when I went back in winter. Uh, so the school was no longer in session, but I met with this um sports uh teacher and she was very very happy with the court um the girls were using it and um i don't know what is happening right now with the tennis court um i hope that it's being used but for me personally it was something that you know proved to me that if you have an exciting idea people will get on board and so on a personal level it was a good achievement too to be able to um you know, do similar thing along the same lines in the future. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and attitudes wise, how have attitudes changed? Would you say, you know, if you had come up with that idea 15 years ago, 100%, it would be no way. And right now um, it will no longer be a novel idea because uh you know, so many things have happened and, and the society, especially Kabul, uh, has changed a lot. There's so, you know, the young people are very active. They've been, um, there's been a host of new things all spearheaded by young people. But yeah, it was a time when, um, even back then there was some resistance, but um, it was well taken with among young people. Um, so that was really cool. Um, but yeah, 15 years ago, uh, one of the people on board of uh, my nonprofit now, Mountain Bike Afghanistan, is the former captain of the women's national soccer national team. Um, she, Shamila Kohistani, she start, She was the captain in 2005, and she will tell you a whole different story than when I launched the tennis court. So the trajectory of uh, the shift in people's opinion has been very, very fast. Obviously, more in urban areas, in in the villages in Afghanistan, in the remote areas, things are much slower. It's it's really it's so so interesting, but it's brilliant to hear as well. And the fact that it's young people who are making those changes and really getting behind the changes, that must make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, I guess. Absolutely. I think, I mean, first of all, we have a huge young population. Afghanistan demographically has more younger people than older people. And I think that, um, you know, it's reaffirming because, um, first of all, this, the, this many youth, they have been kept away from opportunities. And so they know these things exist in other places nowadays with social media and internet and YouTube. Um, they know that, you know, whatever they don't have exists somewhere else. And they're just so enthusiastic about making it happen that they will do anything 
to do it. And so that's really, that is really, really reaffirming. And anything to make these things happen, does that include trying to qualify for the Olympics in mountain biking? <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, that's another personal challenge that is uh, probably uh, my personal Apollo 11 in terms of uh, its difficulty because, you know, being a late entrant uh, in the sport, um, which I got into in my next chapter in the U.S. in my high school in New Mexico. And, um, yeah, I that's the – I can obviously – with certainty, I can say I'm not aiming for 2021, but it's a lo- long road to qualify uh, for Olympics in mountain biking and um, in the Olympics for mountain biking. And um, you, yeah, just uh, just see what the process is like and, um, and, and, and what it entails. But when you started on this whole uh, mountain bike project, you weren't intending to you weren't thinking, right, I'm going to be the one doing this, doing the racing necessarily, were you? No, no. Yeah. I, um, I was in New Mexico and I had just finished high school. I was going to Middlebury college in Vermont. Um, and I had very different plans, uh, for my future, um, until I mountain biked. And (laughs) when I mountain biked, I had, I hadn't experienced that kind of fun ever in my life. It was just brilliant. It was new. It was um, it was something that, you know, very few things uh, in sports, obviously. Now, you know, we can call them adventure sports. Uh, gives you the – locks everything else out and makes you present 100% in front of you. And that is something that I had not experienced before. Um, you know, coming down the mountain – you you just have to be focused and the the joy was just incredible and i remember thinking on that first ride well this is incredible i'm having such a blast <laughs> and the second thing was but if this is mountain biking why is it here and why is it not at home uh thinking of all the you know monster mountains we have in afghanistan and um i was hooked in college i wanted to i learned that uh, Middlebury was in a beautiful mountainous area in Vermont and it had a cycling club and I wanted to uh, basically do cycling uh, just to get into this um, this weird world in order to learn more about it because I wanted to uh, I was interested in doing this at home similar to the tennis court project uh, but then the more I got into it and obviously there was a club and they were competing and I got dragged into competition and I did well in my first beginner's mountain bike race and I was hooked and something dawned on me, which was, well, I'm one of a few people who are in the U S one of a few Afghans who are in the U S who've gotten into mountain biking. The chances of this happening to someone else is very, very low. So it's either me or no one else. And then I (laughs) I started uh, thinking more seriously about competition and um, yeah, I started training with the aim to um, qualify for the Olympics, uh, at least try to qualify. And, and deep down, is that because you want to make the biggest impact for other people 
back home in Afghanistan. Exactly. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, we, we can be a nation of uh, Olympic producing athletes. Um, and um, especially, you know, as I mentioned, uh, we are such a young nation. We have uh, so many um, young people who have been deprived of uh, these opportunities that they are ready to latch onto them once it's provided. And so that's what I want to do by walking this journey to, to be able to then um, pave the way for them. Um, and um, the other aspect of this is how, you know, how quickly uh, the power of the sports to quickly change a nation's image in the world is just, is unmatched. Um, you know, sure, if Afghanistan, like it may take Afghanistan years to build, um, to get rid of the, its current issues. But the moment you have someone from Afghanistan on a f- start line in the Olympics, on a mountain bike, um, or any other sports in that, um, for that matter, but for me in, in mountain biking, it all of a sudden changes the, the image and, uh, it get, it 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 hypes the uh, other so many other Afghans back home to to be able to do the same thing. It's all a matter of uh, you know providing the the right um, resources for that to happen, um, and the rest will fall into place because um, there's a lot of people who want to do that, and I know it because they're just uh, they keep. Uh, writing to me and getting in touch and the cycling scene is just uh granted it's um limited resources in afghanistan it's there's so much enthusiasm and as a playground can you begin to even describe what is it like for for a mountain biker yeah um so it still remains a wish of mine to mountain bike in afghanistan uh because i haven't been home ever since i got into uh the sport five years ago um and so i i'm like i i'm i'm just so excited to finally go home very soon and 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 do this thing that i love in my own country um but afghanistan geographically it is very mountainous uh not many people know this but 80% of afghanistan are mountains um and not just mountains they're huge uh they continue from the himalayas and um you know the highest peak in afghanistan is twenty four thousand five hundred um and above and i joke with my friends here i tell them there's so many unnamed peaks in afghanistan that if you were to go hike one and become the first person to do it you could potentially name that after yourself um so there is that's the topography in Afghanistan and on the infrastructure side well Afghanistan doesn't have a lot of paved roads so it is the best playground for gravel bikes right now uh, because there are a lot of uh, dirt roads and that's how it has been forever and on the mountain bike side of things the way people there are a lot of uh, foot trails Um, you know the way people go uh, from one village to the other in Afghanistan is by foot. And so there are these networks of um, trails that connect 
essentially like you know the infrastructure is there they're not you know they're not purposefully built trails for jumps and things like that but if you wanted to ride your mountain bike in a beautiful quiet countryside in afghanistan you could and so that makes it really really um uh makes the job a little easier to to take to take this thing off definitely and what is the perception like for cycling and for women cycling as well there there are races now aren't there for for women doing those races too yeah um the cycling federation obviously in afghanistan is struggling and it hasn't like anything else in afghanistan it hasn't really been able to uh take off um sadly not being able to match the level of enthusiasm uh, that young people have and the number of young people who want to race and cycle. Uh, but there are changes. Um, they've, they've started to do more and more races. Um, I've seen pictures of bike lanes in Kabul city, um, which is exciting. They're painted, you know, green. And for a moment I had to wait and, uh, you know, wonder w- whether this was truly Kabul or it was photoshopped. Uh, but things are happening. It, really was. <laughs> it was, yeah, and um, and I think um, so. That's on the you know there there's shifting perspectives um, about cycling and cyclists, and obviously, coronavirus has uh, created a new spike like anywhere else in the world, and we can talk about that too. Um, Woman cycling, it has had. Um, it's much better than say 10 years ago. Um, but it is still with a lot of challenges. There are the Federation now organizes races, both for men and women in some of them joint events. Uh, last year they had organized two. um, there, they still haven't canceled the national championship, which is happening at the beginning of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and, although there's some more tolerance for women's riding, it is nowhere, um, that I wish it to see. Um, I was just talking to one female athlete in Afghanistan, uh, who was telling me, um, and being in Bamiyan, which is one of the safest places to ride in Afghanistan, she was riding alone and she passed a group of, uh, little boys age eight to 10 who were, uh, gate, uh, who were grazing their sheep. And as she was passing them, they threw rocks and, you know, dirt at her. Uh, and these are, these are little kids, obviously they're, they're not adults, so we can't, um, but it goes on to show you the, the level of, um, these kids obviously learn it, learn to do that to a girl from their elders. If, um, you know, the environment inside the family uh, doesn't encourage that. They weren't going to do that. So unfortunately, this remains to be, um, with this particular cyclist, um, it's really difficult to go out and train because there are not a lot of uh, riding buddies. And as a female, you can't feel secure enough to venture out by yourself. So you're always tied to a man, unfortunately, for getting your uh, training in. And that is something that we really need to work on uh, either, um, you know, for the Federation to 
to make mixed groups until the society changes so that, you know, a woman doesn't have to compromise her training because uh, of the fact that she, you know, no one picks up her texts or phone calls for joining her to ride. So there are a lot of issues, um, but at the same time, there is some, some hope and some changes. I think it sounds like there's there's so much hope and so many changes. And Farid, if there was one thing that you would love to see for all young people or one thing that you feel sport can do, what, yeah. what would that be? Well, for me, because I'm such an you know, outdoor uh, sports enthusiast, uh, mountain biking and um everything else that can be done outside uh, for me, it is a way for young Afghans and Afghans at large to experience their country for the first time, really in, in ways they haven't done before. I think we're as Afghans, we are strangers in our own country. The war has trapped all of us in wherever we live And although we have this beautiful country that is very mountainous with, you know, incredible places to see, we haven't seen them because of the conflict. What I hope these adventure sports can offer to young Afghans is an opportunity to uh, start to explore our country and for these adventure sports to reopen the country for the Afghans themselves and then to the world. I think that I don't know what Nuristan province looks like. It is beautiful, um, but I haven't been there. And what these sports can do is by offering, by providing the infrastructure and growing it there, it opens up the country. And with that, you create a sense of pride, a sense of humiliating pride that is different than Afghans saying we've defeated the British three times and Russia couldn't have a foothold in here. I think that it is time we, we in all of these conflicts, we haven't really experienced our country. If 80% of Afghanistan are mountains, Afghanistan is mountains, literally, and we haven't seen them. We haven't experienced them. We see them from our windows, but... But what is behind Pagman Mountain? No one knows. And when you venture out, not only you... So it's one of the things that... And, and, and this is me getting a little philosophical here. I love philosophical, don't worry. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not about... Um, sorry, yeah, like it's not about... I don't know, my power numbers or... <laughs> yeah, I love philosophical all the way. Yeah, so this um, this notion of patriotism that is fed to a lot of Afghans is very vague and intangible. Uh, we're often told that um, we have a moral duty to protect our country, that to, to build it, where um, certain behaviors in the society is encouraged because it it contributes to the well-being of the country and things like that. We're always told these things, and again, because we live in a, such a challenging place. Every action is tied to some kind of uh, patriotism. But this notion of 
a very, you know, loving your country because it's a moral duty is very vague. It's very unexciting. How would I love something if I can't touch it? If I can't, you know, if I can't go touch its dirt, smell its, you know, clean air and breathe its clean air and uh, things like that. So I think what adventure through adventure sports is what I hope to bring is, no, I love this country because it's such a beautiful place. Not because country is like mother is what our elders tell us. And therefore we must, you know, protect country. And I think that's, that's what we're growing tired of is these kind of like true uh, engagement and experience. I think lived experiences is what is missing because we've lived in fear for so long is time to open up really. And if you could have a conversation with someone and the words Taliban war were never mentioned, Mm -hmm. what would that mean to you? You know, that, that, that meant that we've, we've been successful. We've, uh, we've undone the, the effects of conflict and the Taliban and that um, we've given Afghans a break from war. Um, my whole, the reason I'm doing all of these things is to, to take your mind off of, of, of being a 40 year old, you know, living, living young and uh, providing good experiences uh, for people. And I think that, um, and I often think about that, you know, I've been in a lot of uh, situations with other international young people from around the world in, in the same room. And you go around introducing yourself. Uh, somebody says they're from Spain and including me, everyone thinks about the beautiful beach in, uh, or the, you know, the cuisine or the, 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 the dances and, and, and flamenco and things like that in Spain. And the moment you say Afghanistan, people's faces drop and they feel sad and uh, sorrowful for you. And it's really painful to notice that as, an, as a young Afghan. I think there's so many beautiful things about this country that the outside world doesn't know, including the Afghans, obviously. Uh, like I said, we're trapped in wherever we live. That if those things are not mentioned again, the word war Taliban is basically like we've been successful. I think we've we've shown that there's so much more to Afghanistan that the world is starting to see now. And obviously the Afghans as well. There are links in the show notes to Mountain Bike Afghanistan and to Farid too. So go on, go and look him up. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. I'd love to hear from you. It'd be great. So don't forget, let me know what has made you smile this week. I mentioned before the interview, it was stand-up paddleboarding with my dad to celebrate his 70th birthday. He'd never done it before, and he won't mind me saying this, but he's really not a, a great swimmer. He tends to go backwards, I think, he tells me. when he if, he if he tries to do front crawl, he's more of a breaststroker with his head up kind of a person. So he was a little bit scared of falling in to deep water, and even more scared about not being able to see without his glasses on. So um, the genius that he is, he actually wore his prescription goggles for stand-up paddleboarding. <laughs> what a guy. Now, I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger last week, didn't I, about uh, our bivvy adventure. So Rich and I had bought two bivvy bags and I said that the sofa had won for two nights running. Well, well, on the third night, we actually went and we bivvied uh, in the garden 
so we didn't go too far but you know what it was great and we stayed dry and looking up and seeing the stars is something pretty magical so if you haven't done it before it's just you get this most yeah kind of spell binding view of the stars and and you wake up every well quite often I did uh but every time they seem brighter or they seem in a different position and yeah it's really cool so give it a go sometime now by the time you hear this I will probably be within a spitting distance of 100 days Monday to Friday of yoga it's been my lockdown project let's say and I yeah initially just wanted to get to 30 days so to be near 100 is pretty damn cool and I feel a lot lot stronger and yeah as I say my toes going from sort of fresh without being warmed up not quite there but given that my fingers used to get down halfway down my shins I've made massive massive improvements and once I'm warmed up I, I really can touch my toes in fact I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it right now yeah there's a slight slight just need a bit of warming up uh, and then I'm there so yeah gonna be doing 100 days which is fantastic and then get this I've actually booked a slot in in a swimming pool not an outdoor lake in an actual pool and I'm really 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 excited so have you been back swimming yet what is it like was it horrible was it weird was it good I'll fill you in on how I find it when that takes place and I've also been really busy recording some interviews with some rather cool people um so next week, you are going to hear from 2019 ITU world champion Vincent Luis or Vince Luis. So keep your eyes peeled for that. It was a really, really good interview. This week's show has been powered by 33fuel.com. Use the code InsideTry33 for a discount at checkout. Now, if pick and mix is more your thing and you want different energy products, maybe some bars, maybe some gels, face masks, if you want a sweat test, if you want precision hydration, whatever you want, water bottles, then pop over to comfuel.co.uk. You can get 20% off everything simply by using the code InsideTry at checkout. So until the Vincent Luis interview next week, look after yourself, look after those around you, and we'll speak again then. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.